0: Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, extension beef cattle specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Well, it is early August here in the Bluegrass State, and that means it's probably getting close to harvesting corn for corn silage. And so today I've got with me as a guest, Dr. Donna Amaral-Phillips, who's our Dairy Extension Specialist. Donna, welcome.
1: Nice to be here with you, Jeff, and the other viewers and listeners.
0: Yes, it's... uh, uh, good to be back. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus from the Beef Bits podcast. We had national meetings. Uh, Donna, you all had the, um, the national dairy meetings. Were you all in person or online this year?
1: We were online. They decided to go online um, almost the last minute.
0: Oh, yeah. so we, we actually were a hybrid and uh, we hosted here in uh, in louisville this year so our our meetings were here so i took several days to go over to those and presented a couple papers and then hosted some sessions so that took a few days away from us and then of course it's vacation time right so had to burn a few days in vacation
1: i still Trying got get... a few to do that with
0: Yep, yeah, i was just gonna ask did you did you find some time to to get away and do some things or do some gardening and some of that.
1: I, I had to do the gardening. <laughs> that, that, that came, it was a good growing year. Let's put it that way. We
0: uh, we have been fortunate knock on wood to have decent early summer precipitation. We, we could use some rain right now though.
1: We got like an inch, 1.4 inches here last week.
0: It was oh, well wow. needed.
1: Yeah. We, We ended up getting quite a bit out of that. So the grass went from brown to green and needs to be mowed again.
0: I wish we would have got a little bit of that. Um, We didn't get quite that much, so we we could use another shower.
1: Yeah, I just stayed in the southern part of the county.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think my gauge said a tenth of an inch, so you stole all my rain. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Well, Normally, it's the other way around, though. Usually, (laughs) the the city of Versailles gets it, and we don't get any that's right it's usually the other way um of course we don't get a lot of the bad weather down here either so we we're not going to argue about that one
0: (laughs) that's true because it seems like uh with the little bit maybe steeper hills and some of that it it skips over the tops of you all and and hits us a little bit where it's flatter but uh, today we're going to chat about corn silage and uh, since it's you to think that it's almost time for corn silage harvest to start.
1: Some parts of the state, I'd say they've already started. If not, they're very close. Um, you get in the western part of the state, um, they'll plant obviously earlier and also depending on variety that they planted. Um, some farmers, some dairy farmers in particular, um, are using some of the short, variety, short day varieties of corn and then they'll double crop with um, sorghum sedan um using that as a dry cow heifer feed so um depending on where they are some of them are, may have already started probably that's, did
0: yeah that's a good point or even even if they wanted to come in with a you know fall planting of wheat that still gives them mm-hmm. that opportunity to get that crop in and going here in august cuz it seems like the later we get in the year on on wheat especially in those cover crops like that the less yield you're going to get next spring but uh, so thinking about that, um, so what are some what are some key indicators that corn might be ready to to chop for uh, corn silage?
1: Well, as far as when we chop corn silage, the big thing that we want to pay attention to is moisture or dry matter content of that total plant. Realizing that corn silage, when you chop that entire plant. You're chopping the stalk, the leaves, the um, the ear and the corn grain in there. And that corn grain is very important obviously for energy content of that feed. But the, the key thing is you've got to have the correct moisture when it goes into a storage structure because you're chopping it, it has to go into that storage structure and oxygen has to be excluded from what you pack in there. And so moisture content is very important there. And we're trying to make sure that that crop is um, 35 to 38% dry batter which is 62 to 65% moisture. I have to always think, because I always think in dry matter terms, Um, but that is very critical. When we get it too wet, what happens is, is whenever you put it into a storage structure, it will run and the silage effluent is, um, you don't want to get it in streams obviously, but you have to contain that. Um, And also it can ruin silage structures, so um, we want to avoid that. Um, And then also if it's too dry, what happens is we don't get it packed as well, and also we see a decrease in performance in those animals once they consume that feed. So we've got a narrow window there. And so you've got to have that corn grain mature enough, but not too mature and then you want to have moisture in that plant. And new varieties are very different. They don't dry down like the old timers used to say. You know, they used to be that they would fire, they talk about it firing up, you know, going from the ground up and the leaves would get drier. And when it came up a certain amount, that's when you started chopping. Well, the, pro- the problem with that is, is the new varieties, have made they've genetically modified them so that doesn't occur, which is good. But you've got to really come in and actually measure the moisture content or dry matter content of that chopped plant to know if you're really within um, reason um, there to get started. You're better off starting a little too early than too late, though. Um, if you're going to err on one side, you're better off arrowing on the too wet than too dry. Because too dry, basically, you're you're in trouble. And one of the problems you get into is when we have um, fungal diseases come in, those plants dry down extremely quickly and they will go very quickly. And that's why it's real important to be ready and get in there and get it done when it needs to get done.
0: So you you mentioned the, I was actually going to say, you know, I can't just look at that plant and it's, you know, a third of the way up on the dead leaves and start chopping. But the other one that Folks always talked about was the corn and looking at the black layer. Mm
1: -hmm. Black, Yeah, black layer was, I still remember when I started, uh, this is going to age me now, um, an agent teaching me how to tell that when the black line, black layer was there. Um, there was an H, I won't even tell who it was, but it, I still remember going out in the field and we get that ear of corn and you'd snap it and you'd look at the milk line. And when the milk line was all the way up and then you take that little corn kernel off and look at that for that black line. I still remember that. Um, we used to use that. And it, it, you can see that if, it's, if the milk line, basically you take that kernel of corn, you snap it in half and you look at how it dries up. Um, And you can see it's usually about half to three quarters. And usually that's when you start measuring moisture. So you can use that as a way to start, but you've got to look at the moisture content. You can't look at the maturity. Um, We want it a little drier than we used to. um, And that is to get the conversion of the sugars into starch so that we can get a little more starch in that feed. Um, And this year, starch is... King.
0: Um, I mean, it's because of the price of corn and other supplemental energy costs, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, corn silage. Basically, if you look at a corn plant when you chop it, and, and there's differences in varieties, but usually it's about fifty percent forage and fifty percent corn, corn grain. And this year, with corn grain five, six plus dollars a bushel, that corn silage is golden. Um, when you look at it, it's worth anywhere from fifty to a hundred dollars a ton. When you look at it from a nutritive standpoint, so it is. You've got to spend time and make sure that you get that crop in the proper stage of maturity, proper um, packing, making sure that you actually preserve that feed so you can feed it out. You don't want to waste feed. Um, that's very important. I think a lot of times we don't think about. Um, that we may not have all those practices in place that we need to have that crop preserved, but we we may lose a lot in that upper part. If we do a bunker or a trench or a pile, um, if we don't put plastic on it um, we'll have a lot of spoilage in that upper part and that upper part could be a lot of feed and that's a lot of money because you, if you just think you can run a lot more cattle, Um, we don't think of it from that standpoint.
0: That's a really good point because I think too, one of the things that will limit that, or at least as I think about it is, you know, a lot of times we make that decision on trying to harvest silage either a little too late, um, or we've got weather that comes in and and kind of messes things up. But if I don't have equipment and I've got to rely on a custom harvester to come in, um, I need to have things lined up for that storage and ready to go.
1: Oh, yeah, because um, basically what once they start chopping, that silage comes in, and it's got to be packed immediately. I mean, it's basically everything has got to be ready to go, and as soon as they get done, you've got to be ready to cover it, um, and, and Basically, you have got to have everything there ready to go and you move. You don't if you have an equipment breakdown, it you, you can see it later. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. You you will pay later. <laughs> uh, so what
0: what are some of the typical storage options that that we might be seeing on the farms?
1: One of them, I mean, obviously, there's still uprights out there. Um, our Amish population prefers those. Um, even our Mennonites, a lot of Mennonites will use those. Um, and we still use a lot of those um, out there. I and mean, they're available on all, a lot of farms out there. But we're seeing a lot more, um, depending on the size of the farm, and number of cattle on that farm. We're seeing, obviously, a lot of silo bags, Um and we see a lot of bunkers and drive over piles or trenches. We still see trenches out there. The difference between a bunker and a trench, or be- trench basically is a bunker has concrete sides and a trench has earthen sides. It's basically dug into the ground um, type deal.
0: So so if we're going into a trench or a bunker, um, you mentioned plastic. but well, you know, the, the plastic silo bags themselves, they're just a bag and there's plastic all the way around. It's uh-huh. it's fully enclosed. So now when you talk about plastic in a bunker or a drive-over pile, are, are you talking just simply the cover or what do you mean by having plastic?
1: Well, we've really changed how we do that. We always used to talk about plastic over the top. Now we're really talking about making the equivalent of a bag out of a bunker. So what we're talking about is taking plastic, and now they're even using the oxygen barrier film on the sides, basically on those walls, taking plastic and putting it up the wall and over it so you can secure it down so that when you're filling, you fill your bunker. And then you'll come back when you're done and take the side, the plastic that's over the sides and pull it up over the top of that bunker and then you'll put plastic or and with oxygen barrier film on top of it so basically you're making you know you're pulling it up over the sides and then you're putting plastic over the top and what that the plastic on the side walls does is it does two things um concrete's porous so basically you've got oxygen infiltration there um but the other thing with pulling that plastic up over the top is you don't get water coming down the sides of that the side walls of that bunker and you can get a lot of spoilage there that you don't really think about Um, so that's why we talk about lining the walls is to prevent oxygen from coming in from inside from the walls itself, but also to prevent that water from running down the sides where those walls are and causing spoilage there. And a well-maintained bunker, trench, pile, even um, an upright, basically you get that plastic on there correctly um, and keep it on there correctly, you won't have any spoilage. And when you get into these piles and bunkers, especially when you get into these larger ones, well, all of them, um, bunkers and trenches and piles are very dangerous. And you, if you can avoid having to fork off um, spoilage from that top of that bunker, number one, you're, you're not wasting feed, which is dollars right now. But more importantly is, is safety. Um, that's one thing that's very important with these bunkers is is that you use equipment properly and you understand that that face can slide down and you don't want to be down you don't want to be in front of that um, that's a
0: good point and and we think about um all the other potential risks on the farm if we can eliminate one by maintaining that pile a little bit better so that we don't have to be up on it that's just one more thing that's safe
1: let's talk talk a little bit more about plastic i think cuz that's one thing that i see um when i'm out is um the key is is that that plastic even if you just use that black white plastic it's you know two different colors um and it has to stay down tight against that silage um and that's why we put tire we use tire walls now but we put tires on there you can use sandbags they're more expensive um is you got to hold that plastic Tight against that silage. And that's why we always talked about tires should touch there is to hold that plastic down. And um, the key is, is that you've got to get that plastic on there, but then you got to put those tire walls on there and they don't hold um, water is why we use tire walls now versus tires because tires hold water. Um, Is You're spending time doing that to make sure that that plastic stays down. You don't want a gust of wind to come and pull up that plastic. And that's why it's real important um, to spend your time obviously putting down the plastic, but then spend your time making sure you get enough tire walls on there to hold that plastic down. Um,
0: That's a good point. I think we forget It's, it's not so much maybe about holding the plastic down, while it's going through before we're fermentation and before we're feeding it, but also during the feed out where you've got this big face that's open to air that could get underneath that plastic and lift it.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, this, when we talk about um, bunkers, obviously, you know, you've got a surface there and you've got your slope, right? So you've got your tractor that had gotten up there and you can get you know, the right shape that you can get those tires to stay there. When you get into those piles, the shape of that pile is real important. That's why we talk about that three to one slope there on a pile is number one is when you're packing that when you're coming up with that tractor, your, your tires don't dig into it. And that's a no-no. Um, but also to make sure that that plastic stays on there and the tires stay on there. Um, you know, you don't want to put large round bales on top of a pile. Uh, that's one of those things that I never quite understood, but s- some people do it. I don't know how they get them up there safely. Um, but the thing is, you got to make sure that those tires stay on there. And that's where that slope, um, is real important when you, if you do use a pile.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's a good good point, and nobody probably really thinks a lot about that. They're probably thinking about trying to minimize the area that the piles taken up, and smaller footprint is better. So let's make those sides really really steep, and uh, or at least I can get the tractor up and over it. But I don't think about trying to put tires on to hold them, and they may slide down off the sides of that. Uh
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So so you mentioned plastic and so we're we're, um with a with a trench and a pit we're going to or a bunker we're going to kind of wrap it and make a bag but with a drive-over pile basically we just have the top layer right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah basically your plastic is going to go all over the pile down to whatever surface you put it on it's going to go four to five feet past that and then you're going to use sand to sort of make you a um, that goes on the sand goes on top of the plastic to hold the plastic down on the edges Um and the key is that you've got to, again that slope and making sure that you pack it um, on the sides and that's where that slope is real important yeah especially when you start paying for that concrete to make that pad you want it you want to make yeah yeah that that concrete's not cheap and And when you look at um, sizing those pads and stuff, uh, yeah, they get expensive. And that's why they want to go up higher with them. And I don't blame them. But the problem is you don't get, you got to do it with some common sense and some um, engineering ability there.
0: So I get calls probably every fall about covering it. And why can't we just go on there with a whirly spreader with wheat and just put wheat down?
1: Wheat is a crop, and obviously it likes moisture, and it doesn't save it. Moisture goes. If you were to go out and plant wheat, let's let's just say you were to go out in your field and plant wheat. Where does the water go when um, it rains?
0: We down, talk,
1: <laughs> down. It goes to the roots. And so what are you trying to do when you put plastic on? You're trying to prevent water from getting down into the crop. Um, And so when you, if you plant wheat on it, aren't you sort of doing the exact opposite of what you want to do? You want to keep water out of there. The wheat plant in order to grow, it's got to have water. So, and it wants its roots to go down. So, it wants water down there to survive. So you're sort of counterproductive there. Besides, it's not going to give you that berry to keep oxygen out. That's another problem. But just think about it from a standpoint of a plant growing. It's you got roots down there. It needs water. That's the last thing you want. And so that's sort of counterproductive there.
0: And I, I think part of that stems back from that, you know, in the past, even when we would use plastic uh, in a, in a bunker or, or a pit, we never lined the sides and, and that. And so we always had spoilage underneath the plastic cause we didn't put enough tires down. And so you still end up with four to six inches of spoilage and you get that with that, or maybe even more with the wheat. And as I visualize it, probably I just, Uh, It's not too much worse than plastic. And I don't have to worry about getting rid of that darn plastic.
1: Well, the bigger issue is, which we haven't talked about at all, is we're going to be just be frank, putting plastic on, especially that oxygen barrier film is a pain in the tush. I mean, it is just, it's not an easy chore. It, I mean, and those tire, even if you use tire walls, those things are heavy and you start putting on umpteen tire walls it's, it's, it's a chore. It's a chore that is worth it in dollars. Um, if you just look at a 30 by a hundred foot, um, silo type thing, I calculated at for dairy cows, you could feed an extra four and a half with, without spoilage on it, four and a half cows and beef cows, you'd probably be 10 cows, an extra 10 cows. And that adds up this year, any year it adds up, but especially this year. You could put in ten more animals.
0: That's ten more beef animals for an entire year, Mm -hmm. not just through the winter time. Because a lot of times we think about feeding corn silage to to the cows in the winter, and they're going out to pasture in the summer. But you're talking a full year.
1: Yeah, full year. So if you're just talking winter, you're talking an extra twenty cows. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of feed.
0: That's a lot of feed.
1: And the thing is, you don't often see that you've lost that feed. Sometimes you'll obviously you'll see it in spoilage, but you also have a lot of losses there you don't get to see unless you actually weigh the feed going in, the feed coming out. Which a lot of the really a lot of the dairies when you get out there, they're actually um, weigh feed coming in. Basically, they're weigh when they that's how they pay the custom harvesters. Some of them. Um, so they actually, all those trucks will run over actually a scale and then they actually, their feed equipment will actually have where they can, they have software on that feeding equipment. They actually know how much they actually fed out. So they will calculate shrink. Um, so they will know what, what it is. But unless you do that, you're going to think you haven't lost anything or it's not that much. Oh, I just got a pile over here. I'm going to make them eat it, um, irregardless oh i'll just feed it when they're dry or you know it doesn't make any difference i'll just feed that and you lose more than you think and you lose it in performance also i don't care if they're dry you know just growing you're going to lose performance if you don't have that quality feed there and you spent a lot of money on getting that crop put up you know out in the field grown and we had a good decent growing year here in kentucky and, um, and so you've got, you know, actually some, you know, a, a, a pretty expensive crop there. So
0: that's a, that's a good point. The other, you know, you, you put that days, but you're talking financially what if I did a beef cow and I got an extra 20 cows through the winter at 200 to $300 per cow or a dairy cow through the year, that's. Four to six hundred dollars per cow in feed. Um, You're talking a few thousand dollars in just spoiled feed loss.
1: Yeah, I don't think people understand how much how many dollars they're losing. If um, you know, we see it where you know some people will uh, I call them mazes. They'll make mazes out of bunkers because they made them too big, and um, the feed that they lose there, or they. They need more storage, and instead of putting down more concrete or whatever they need, or more bags or whatever, they'll come in and go up higher, and they can't get that tractor up there to really pack it safely, so they won't get it packed. And so you got that lost feed. And I don't think people really understand that that's dollars. Um, There's a lot of dollars there.
0: And you spent a lot of time and labor getting that crop in the ground, getting it to the bunker, and then its field just takes a little bit extra TLC to get it covered.
1: Uh-huh. It's so, time well spent.
0: That's a good point, time well spent. So it's in the it's in the silo now, let's say. Let's talk a little bit about what happens now. You've got a fermentation process that happens to go in what we would call quote-unquote preserving it or pickling that corn silage. What, what's going on now with that corn silage once it's in that bunker?
1: So basically, the, the key thing is that you've got to get it packed. And the way we be, fill a, a, a bunker or a pile is that we, um, basically, the silage will come in and we spread it in thin layers, usually about four-inch layers, um, and we'll do it on a wedge-type Um, system so basically you're spreading it on up a slope so to speak um, very thin layers and we put that tractor on there and pack it um, to exclude oxygen so that's what you're trying to do when you're packing you're trying to exclude oxygen and it's important that you pack it enough that you basically you go over that whole surface and basically it's smooth Um, there's calculations of how much weight of a tractor you need on there. If you're just doing wagons, pulling in, usually one tractor works. But when you get into these big, these self-propelled choppers that they really crank and they can move, um, those custom harvesters, you've got to put a lot more weight on.
0: And you're bringing semi-loads of silage in every minute.
1: Yeah, and even dump trucks can come pretty darn quick. If that field is close Um, and they've got drivers... Um, I, I, I can remember as a kid, how quickly they came in. Cause I used to hear them when I, I got stuck in the parlor. Uh, I remember how quickly those guys came in and they weren't that close. And that's before really self propels were really out there. Um, so those, those trucks can, they have enough drivers so they can move. Um, so basically the key is is you got to keep enough weight to, to exclude the oxygen. So when you're talking about fermentation, the first thing that has to happen is you have to exclude as much oxygen as you can between the particles of that chop feed. And so the first part of that process is, is the bacteria that are there, the natural bacteria, use up that oxygen. So that occurs usually about a day or two if you've done things correctly. And obviously there's heating that occurs there. So if you don't get the, if you don't get it packed, if you look, and I have seen this over time as people just blow it in a pile um, and just leave it and don't put a tractor on. I have seen that. I've seen a lot of things in my days um, and, and you get a lot of heating that occurs. So if you don't get enough packing, you got a lot more oxygen in between those particles. And so you get a lot more heating and you get a lot more destruction of the nutrients that are in there so basically norm the normal process is about within a day or two you've used up all that oxygen and then the bacteria that are there basically go and 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 survive in a no oxygen environment and so they produce lactic acid and that's what causes the drop in the ph of that crop and that's what preserves it and so we want to see that use up that oxygen quickly and then you want to have the bacteria that don't use oxygen basically get convert that carbohydrates into lactic acid and that drops the ph and that drop in ph is what preserves the crop
0: and and so that bacteria is basically going to take that um the, the sugars that are in the plant, not necessarily starch, but the sugars and ferment it. And that pH then will drop down into what range? Five, less than five? What's typical for corn silage?
1: Corn silage will end up being around a four. Um, when you get into like the alfalfas, the grasses, they're usually about four or five or so. Um, but corn silage has good carbohydrates there um, and and it drops in pH very well. It's got the buffering capacity. It does a really good job. Making silage is very similar to making sauerkraut. It's probably a good way to put it. If you, um, my husband decided this year he wanted to try making sauerkraut. I don't think it worked, but that's another (laughs) issue. Um, but the, the key is, is when you make that, you, you take and you cut it, you cut up your, Cabbage, and then you stuff it in. We did it in a jar, so you stuff it in the jar, and you make sure that you actually get that. When you get done, um, you make sure that the cabbage stays below the water line because you want to have an anaerobic or non-oxygen environment, and you want a fermentation to occur. And that's really what you're trying to do when you pack silage. You're trying to get that crop so it doesn't have oxygen. It uses it up quickly. Doesn't have oxygen. It's just like um, we actually used a little coil that held the cabbage down underneath the layer, the, the moisture that was in that from the cabbage, and that's what you're trying to do there. You're trying to exclude that oxygen, and and, and it's the same concept. You're trying to pickle something and that's what you're doing with silage basically you're making cow sauerkraut for people that don't come from a farm a lot of times I will describe corn silage as cow sauerkraut and they can understand that because that's really what you're doing and that ph will stay constant if you did a good job until you feed out that crop now if you made a mistake along the way then you don't get that drop in pH. You can get into some health issues in those animals. Um, So that's why the steps are so important um, there. So
0: proper maturity of the corn plant itself at harvest Mm -hmm. and proper moisture so that there's enough moisture um, to kind of help pack that silage, but then also provide enough moisture for the bacteria to grow and get access to those sugars inside the plant and then making sure it's covered Mm -hmm. and we've got it preserved now and now it's how long from the time that we put it in to a bunker to when we can start feeding it back out is typical.
1: Typically we'll start, we'll, we'll wait about three to four weeks from when we actually covered that bunker. Um, or it can be an upright silo, it can be a bag. They're all the same. Basically, we wanna wait, um, we usually say three to four weeks is the recommendation. Now, if you had to go two and a half weeks, then we'd be okay. But usually it takes about three to four weeks. Now, there is a few changes that occur, and when you get into a dairy operation, we do try to extend that a little bit past that three to four weeks or at least we realize that as we're balancing rations, we're going to have a little different crop at feed out because we do have difference in starch. But beef herd, you're not going to worry about that um, like we are in a dairy because we're right on the edge as far as that animal being acidotic and going off feed. So we're really on that edge. And so we're going to to pay more attention to that.
0: And And so now we are four weeks in and we've decided it's time to start feeding. What are some key things when we think about moving silage out of the pit or whatever to try and minimize feeding loss, spoilage that may occur after we start feeding?
1: One of the key things that when we go to feed out is obviously going to open up the silo and you'll feed off the spoiled stuff. The key thing is, is how you remove that silage you always want to leave what we call a clean face. You don't want silage down in front of that face. So basically, you want to take off how much you're going to feed for that particular time frame. So um, when you go in with your bucket, the the inclination is, is to put the bucket on the ground, come up to the silo face, take that bucket and pick it up and scoop out. But what you're doing is, remember what we're trying to do is we've got an anaerobic or a limited oxygen environment. When you take that bucket and scoop into that, what you're doing is you're putting oxygen um, quite a ways back into that face. And so you're introducing oxygen. When we Remember when we um, introduced oxygen or had oxygen in there before, what happened to the temperature?
0: Went it went way, way up. up.
1: And so if you take that bucket and you go in the bottom and come up, what you're doing is you're really introducing oxygen in there. So you're, you're doing the exact opposite of what you want to do. So the quality of your feed as you feed out over time is not going to be what you put up and all that time you spent. So when you come in with your bucket, what you're really supposed to do is come to the top and shave down. So you're not You're You're not trying to disturb what's behind that face. And that's very counterintuitive. Um, You think of how you use a bucket, you come in, you scoop up, but you've got to do it the opposite. And when you get into a lot of these um, dairy herds, they actually have um, equipment that they put on the, the front of a skid steer. There's a defacer, basically, and it will actually shave off a certain amount depending on how, obviously, how much they, you know, come up to that face. But they're actually shave it off to maintain that face and not pull, um, get oxygen in behind that face um, there. But you can do it with a bucket. You just got to be very careful. You got to remember that you don't go into the middle of the pile and scoop up. Um, I have a great picture of that. Which, you know, somebody tried doing that.
0: Well, um, you, it's very common to go on and, and see, you know, a two foot pile at the base of the of the pit or the bunker face and it's just common like you said it's it's just kind of intuitive that you'd come in and you'd let that bucket down to scoop up that silage at the base and then just keep lifting up and you're lifting that face of the silage up and letting more air get back in there further so when we think about that you mentioned Oxygen's going to ingress into the face or that surface of silage. So is there a certain amount we want to be taking off every day to try and limit that heating and spoiling that's going on? When we look at bunkers, really,
1: um, that's really changed over time. And now we're talking about taking 12 inches or a foot off a day, um, at least eight inches um, to a foot. In the summertime, you've got to take that foot Um, to maintain it in the wintertime you can go back a little bit but we used what we used to have as the recommendation we have really changed that and we've doubled it um, is the best way to put it Um, so you've got to take off enough off that face to keep it fresh and to make sure that you're not getting heating occurring because cattle don't like to eat hot feed Um, they'll tell you what they think of it very quickly
0: and I think we, that is, in, in at least on the beef side, one of the common mistakes is appropriately sizing the storage facility for silage so that we get that amount of silage fed off the face every day. People don't like the bags because of the plastic they've got to get rid of because we can't, we can't recycle it right now, but Even if you go beyond that, if you're you're going to do a drive over pile, make sure that you do the drive over piles sized appropriately so you can feed out and go back um, and and get enough off of it. Because, boy, I don't know how many times I've gone somewhere and the, the silage has already been probably exposed a week because it's too wide and you're taking off of the far left side and working your way across and then you're going back. Um, or you had a good picture the other day of, uh, where they took a, a, I think it was a pit and they just went down the middle of it Yep. and took the whole left side off. And now you got the entire length of that pit exposed to oxygen. That's going to ingress on that silage.
1: The, the sad part is, um, I've seen that more times than not <laughs> that same, that, that column, the, the mazes. <laughs> um, Yeah. I I didn't get a picture of one that I, that was, it was was a maze galore. (laughs) Um, It was a big um, area and they just went in anywhere and got stuff. (laughs) It's just, I mean. And
0: we don't really have our producers and we probably, uh, they don't think about it, but oxygen also then can allow an aerobic bacteria, listeria, to grow which can be problematic because listeriosis can cause uh, early symptoms as you know, that facial paralysis, but it can also potentially lead to death in animals.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing that's real important when you, when you get into those bunkers and stuff that you pack the sides because um, you start feeding that out, the pH is a little higher, and usually that listeriosis um, becomes an issue. Or circling disease, a lot of farmers know it as circling disease. That's one of those things that um, you prey a lot on that animal, um, not being facetious there, um, because it's very hard to control. And um, making sure that you pack all sides is really critical and get that pH um, down there. Um thing is um a lot of dairy farms the uh, face is too wide too it's not just beef farms it's it's you're better off being too narrow you've got to be wide enough to get the tractor on it and get it packed but you're better off being too narrow than too wide and i think we always um you know we always want that big face because it looks pretty it's easy to get that tractor on there um you know the university's um, bunker that we built that thing was twice as wide as it should have been um but they could drive through they wanted to drive that that's just the way they want wanted it but they they it was double the width it needed to be and they always had to feed out more silage than and feed it to a lot of other animals because they had to keep that face clear clean and they had to feed out more than they really wanted to at times because they really wanted to put more haylage in there but they couldn't because they had to feed out enough of that corn silage to keep it fresh so they got you know that was an issue um universities know uh, they they do things wrong too
0: (laughs) (laughs) those are great learning opportunities for us to use as demonstrations yeah. So when when we we think about the weather too it's it's changed at least I feel like now we certainly get more winter precipitation than we did in the past and so it, you know it's not uncommon for us to get 20 to 30 inches of rain through the winter and you know not having that pile or pit covered with plastic not feeding out the appropriate amount and having several hundred pounds laying there at the bottom of the face and you get a two inch rain, That all of that affects the quality of the feed then when I go to deliver it to the animals and and having changes. It's like you said, intakes are going to go up and down because of the quality of the feed and the performance is going to go up and down. So it is really important that we consider all the management that goes on to making corn silage from Mm -hmm. harvest to feed out.
1: I think um, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, I've seen um, bunkers that, that there is no spoilage. And that's what we really need to shoot for. That face is perfectly straight. There is no silage on the bottom of that pit, trench, um, bunker. I mean, we're talking, you know, I I couldn't actually get a five-gallon bucket off a whole face uh, that is off. Um, There is absolutely no spoilage, zero visible spoilage. You do not have to fork out anything. Um, So it is very doable, and we have a lot of farmers, um, beef and dairy and other ruminant farms Um, that achieve it. And the thing is, is attention to a few of the details and just making sure that you know that it's going to be one of those tasks that you have to do and get done and get done quickly and effectively and realize that that's going to have an economic impact. And I think the thing that we've got to understand is this year, um, feed prices aren't coming down and availability has been issues in the past and that crop is a golden um it's a golden crop and we need to spend time making sure that we're ready to actually do that harvest have the plastic ready have the equipment ready serviced um that's one thing we haven't talked about is if we do you have a kernel processor on there but um is making sure that that equipment is ready, that we're ready, that when we harvest it, that it comes into that storage structure. It doesn't make any difference Fits an upright, making sure that that distributor works so that we get that feed distributed evenly when, it's, um, when we're actually um, filling that silo. When we get done with an upright, it's important that we level that silage off at the top, put plastic on top of that. Make sure that um, no coons can get up that in that silo because they will make a mess. Um, they'll dig down in um, and they'll just, they'll ruin a lot of what you did.
0: And um, potentially leave some pathogens there um, that we don't want to be dealing with either.
1: Yeah. And so we've got to make sure that they can't get up that silo or get in that silo um, there. So even uprights there's um, a lot of things there so you know harvesting at the correct moisture getting it in excluding oxygen so if an upright you know you're talking about making sure that you get it in there quickly you know making sure that you fill um, very quickly and then level that off and seal it just like you would with a bunker Um, if you're doing bags making sure that you actually have that bagger working properly so you get that exclusion of that oxygen that bagger working properly is very similar to getting a tractor on top of a bunker you've got to make sure that you're packing it you know adequately and that you, when you're getting done or when you're looking at that bag, that you, it doesn't look like a big hump, various humps. It's got to be sort of smooth over time. And that you put that on, a, bags have to go on a surface that sort of, um, that doesn't, um, won't get muddy. Um, and that you can keep varmints away from it. You don't want them getting, making holes in your plastic because that's counterproductive of what you've spent all that time doing um and it's the same thing with going in and getting feet out of that bag you've got to make sure that you're not disturbing any more of that face than you need to um type deal and realize if you're going to go into a bag in winter time we get rain and that ground doesn't always freeze so it's got to be in a place those bags have got to be located in a place that you can get in without mud or very very minimal mud because mud will come if you get a tractor in there
0: That's a good point. It doesn't have to be a concrete pad, but it needs to be well drained and um, ideally on some gravel to let that moisture drain away. And then the moisture, well, draining that moisture away and then maybe having a gravel pad also reduces the amount of weeds and that that may grow in between the bags and then cover for rodents. And because if the rodents go in and, and cut a hole in the bag in the bottom and start burrowing in there and making a before you know it, a, a two-foot little nest pocket in there, there's a lot of oxygen that's going in that hole every day. So it, your comment about that is is probably one that people need to spend just a little bit more planning time on and probably make that pad bigger than they think. If it's a 150-foot by 9-foot bag, don't put a pad that's 150-foot by 9-foot.
1: No, you right. need you need some space on either side. Um, also, with with putting gravel down, you need to be a little careful. Um, realize that you don't want to scoop up gravel and feed. We call them stones. Um, you don't want to feed gravel, so you gotta you've got to be a little careful when you go in with that bucket that you don't dig down. So you just you got to realize who's going to be feeding out and what. You know time that you want to spend there so just be a little careful there i've seen that happen
0: yeah put some dense grade um um or kind of lime washings on top of it or even Mm -hmm. some limestone down over top to two to three inch kind of layer to help minimize the risk of getting those stones in there
1: but the key is is you've got to put it in the storage structure and we talked a lot about the bunker and the trench but the key is, is those bags are very similar. All those concepts, it's just a little different way of doing the same concept. The key thing is you've you got to get it harvested at the correct moisture so it will pack, that you exclude oxygen, and then you let it go through the fermentation process. And then when you go to feed out, you want to make sure you, you actually make sure that you minimize the amount of oxygen you're putting back into that. And you feed off enough that you keep that crop fresh for those cattle.
0: So, the bags are great for beef folks, I think, because the eighth of nine foot diameter face is more appropriate with the volume or or the typical volume we'll feed in a day. Um, there is a little bit more challenge because you got to line up a bagger and you got to have a tractor there. Um, but. Uh, uh, I think well, you got your tractors that are pulling the silage in. I mean, it's it's not like you're just going to pull a tractor in and dump it on a pile. Um, typically, we see them bringing it in on wagons, and so that works a little bit easier for smaller operations to unload into those baggers. I think the other common thing is that we forget about is um, if we have bags, it allows us to have different crops or different. Mm-hmm. We can have a bag of corn silage, a bag of wheatlage or alfalfa haylage or whatever. And there's a lot of value in that too.
1: Yeah. And we have a lot of dairy farms that prefer the bags so they can have different crops in different bags. And different, and They may have some acreage that was brown midrib that basically is more digestible. And they may blend that with a conventional corn silage. Um, and so they'll blend feeding over time. Um, They'll also blend in some, you know, some type of grass type, you know, a small grain or something else into that feed. So um, they will use that bag so they can actually feed off, you know, two or three different crops at once, depending on the number of cows. I mean, one of our largest dairies, um, they use bags. They prefer the, the feed coming out of those bags. We have other others that do extremely well with bunkers. It's a matter of what you want to use. They all work as long as you manage them appropriately. And I think point. that's the key thing there. Um, you can make mistakes on all of them. Um, or you can do it right on all of them.
0: And in, in theory, when done... When you do everything appropriately and you hit the benchmarks for moisture and chop length and packing, there's really very little that goes wrong with corn silage, to be honest.
1: Corn silage, basically, um, it's very forgiving. Um, other than growing years, sometimes in growing years, it will affect quality. But pretty much in herds that you have, corn silage going in, um The one beauty of corn silage is you plant it one time a year and you harvest one time a year. When you get into grass, if you just think of hay, you'll have three, four plus cuttings, depending if it's alfalfa or whatever, but you'll have multiple cuttings. Whereas corn silage, you pretty much you go in, you plant and you harvest and um, and you're getting a feed that is half corn grain and half forage. So you're actually giving those animals grain in addition to that forage crop. So it, it's it's a very good crop, and it'll it, it's very, for the most part, it's very forgiving. Um, yep.
0: I don't think I mean I just want to bring that up because I don't want people to be scared of making corn silage, but we we wanted to lay the foundation of properly making corn silage to minimize all the things that could go wrong with bad fermentation. But if you do things appropriately, it is very forgiving and ends up with a very high quality feed stuff for high performance animals. So or if if we're looking at a beef cow um, for our fall calving cows that are lactating through the winter can be a, a, a nice way to ensure they don't lose a lot of body condition score uh, when we've got lower quality hay. So I think Donna, we, we've gone through almost all kind of phases from kind of harvest up through feed out. And, um, you know, if if you don't mind, I thought what maybe we would do is have you on another episode and we'll talk about thinking from a standpoint of feeding corn silage and quality Mm -hmm. and nutrients and some of those issues when, um, uh, we're, kind of thinking about alternative feeds, because this has been good to lay the foundation of making corn silage, and that's where we're at, so uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'll probably invite you back to join us, and we'll talk about things to consider when we feed corn silage.
1: Well, I appreciate you asking me to be part of this today, because I think there's a lot of key things there, and and, and people don't need to be afraid of it. Um the key is is if it's just make sure you get it packed i've learned over time that i look at a pile and if i thought a tractor could gotten on it i'll walk down to it if if there if there's a tractor couldn't have gotten on it i usually don't walk down there
0: i understand that point because it could very well be that it's just a compost pile
1: yeah and then they weren't beef farms either (laughs) (laughs)
0: well we we won't we won't tell anybody about what that is but the other thing is is i think we forget about corn silage has been around for a long 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 time and it was made when they didn't have the equipment that we have today and still ended up making good feed so Um, a little bit of management on the front end goes a long way and that's what we wanted to lay the groundwork for today so thank you uh, Dr. Emerald Phillips for sharing with us today on the Beef Bits podcast and uh, we look forward to having you back on uh, a future session when we chat about all right it's inside now what thank you thanks Donna have a great day Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beef Bits podcast. We hope you found it enjoyable and informative. Be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits podcast for future episodes as well as listen to previous ones. Until next time, be safe and reach out to your county extension office for more information on beef management topics.